I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. And if you look on the front of the bulletin yet, it says life begins at the end of your comfort zone. I want you to hear how Jesus was challenging someone to do that. Mark 10, verse 17. Now, as He was going out on the road, one came running knelt before Him and asked Him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call Me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come... Take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. This is the Word of God for the people of God. We have an interesting story today. A lot in it. But I will point out a couple of things as we get underway. And one of those is that this young man came running. He is young. He was a ruler in that time. He was also very rich. And he knelt before Jesus. That's the most first part of the picture, one of the most important pieces here, is he runs up and kneels. He's not old. That's one of the reasons we know he's not old is he's uh, running. (laughs) I'm not sure what age we stopped running, but uh, uh, I I passed it. (laughs) Our bones won't let us do it or or something when we get a little older, or or the want to. Why why run? We can walk and get there and not be tired. (laughs) have to rest half a day, something like that. Um, but the other thing that happens is that they're astonished when Jesus tells them that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In that culture, wealth meant favor. 
So if someone had a lot of money, it meant God was looking down on them with um, pleasure or liking that person. And that's how they saw it. Didn't matter how they got the money, it's that God must have given it to them or allowed them to have it. In that kind of society, the reason they thought that is because God doesn't bless people unless He wants to. And in the same mentality is when God is blessing the Israelite kingdom, they would always offer their offerings every year and part of the harvest so God would bless them with increase. So when someone is wealthy and he says that it's hard for them to get into the kingdom of God, it kind of shocks them in a very big way. The word is astonished. says it twice in, in our reading this morning. They were astonished because this person has God's favor in their mind. And that's why they said, if a rich man can't, then who can? And what he says is that old famous saying, it is easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now there are two different ways people have understood that verse of that text, and that is, Number one, that there was a doorway that was very low and narrow that entered in called the eye of the needle. And for a camel to get through, he had to kneel. Or whether it means a very small threaded needle and putting a camel through that, we don't know exactly what Jesus was referring to. But either way, it's difficult to get a camel to kneel and walk on his knees. And it's almost impossible to get one through a little threaded needle. Not sure how you do that, but maybe one hair at a time. <laughs> it's the only way I can figure. But um, those things are important in the text. And the other thing that's important that you need to know, in verse 21 it says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus had compassion and loved him. He wasn't saying anything to him other than love. And when what he says to him comes to him as anything but love, there's a contradiction inside the man. And that contradiction is what we're going to look at. Why? Because there are some laws at work here and in our lives and in our society that were at play there and they're at play now. The first one is the law of reciprocity or reciprocation. It means if I scratch your back, you scratch mine. If I help you today, you'll help me tomorrow. If I lend you my shovel, uh, you'll let me borrow your rake. You know, whatever. Things like that. In other words, uh, good neighbors help one another. And that law of reciprocity is in place here because this man is wealthy. And he believes since he has wealth and understands how things work, that God should bless him because he's a man of understanding of great things and so is God. So God should be seen as an equal to him because God is over great things too. So he has in his mind a sense that if I give something to God and honor God, God will give something back to me. So I kept the commandments, he says, from my youth. And therefore, God should bless me with wealth and favor, reciprocity. Not that God should keep His commandments back, but that God would bless Him. And it's, it's almost like this understanding, God, if I do everything You say, You'll bless me. So I'm going to do it to get the blessing. 
That's the law of reciprocity in spirituality. It doesn't work that way. In spirituality, or in, shall we say, following Jesus Christ, we follow Jesus because we love Him, whether He blesses us or not. But we want to think that since I'm doing what He says, He should bless me and help me. But it's not what we think. It's the fact that He loves us that matters. The second law that's at work is the law of working and getting paid. Oh, you didn't know that if you went and got a job and got paid, you would be okay with that? You see, it's almost... uh, Actually, today is the ninth. a uh, A year ago minus a month. In September, I started working at Four Rivers, and I, I didn't tell you all how this happened or the negotiations and things like that. But they said, this is what your uh, pay is going to be. Are you okay with that? And I said, if I said no, what are you going to do? <laughs> and he said, well, I'm going to go talk to him, and we're going to say, take it or leave it. And I said, so what's the point in asking me if I'm okay with it if there's no negotiation here. And I said, pay me what you're going to pay me and let's go forward, right? But if they had not paid me to do the job, do you think I would keep going there for free? I may like what I do, but not that much. No, I wouldn't do that for free. I would find something else that would (laughs) offer something for the work. We work to get paid. If we had a job that didn't pay us, we'd call that volunteering. Most of us don't have work that we're volunteers at, and there's a reason for that. It's because there are expenses we need to take care of. So the law of working and expecting a paycheck is in play. In Scripture, Jesus messes with that law a little bit when He has this wealthy man go out early in the morning and settle a wage for a day's work. And they go to work in the field. He comes back three hours later and three hours later than then the last group has only an hour to work and he offers to pay them as well. And so when they come to get paid, he pays the ones who started and only worked an hour a full day's wage. And the ones who started early in the morning are expecting more and they get a full day's wage. And they're upset. And he said, did I not offer you work for a day's wage and you said yes and now you're upset that I'm paying you with my money what we agreed on why are you upset be happy with your pay see Jesus says that the wealthy who are putting people to work if they want to give you a bonus or be nice of you that's up to them it's not what you think they should give you it's what they said they would do and their choice with their money that's the law of work and get paid They had a a sign at work one day. I thought it was great. It said, new work incentive. Work and get or get fired. (laughs) I like that one. I don't know if that was um, very encouraging, but people chuckled and said, I guess now we all got to work again. Third law that's in play in this passage is the law of sin and death. It's in play in our life too. The law of sin and death says this, that if you are a human being, you fall under the consequences of sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
So we are eligible <laughs> by simply being human to pay the price of death. That is our reward, if you will. The pay for sin is death. Now that law is evident in this too, because the man says, I've kept the commandments, therefore I have not sinned. But so he thinks that he's worthy of eternal life by keeping commandments. That's a problem. And it's also the sense of work and get paid. Obviously, he's wealthy, he's done a lot of work and probably owns a lot of things, so he's getting paid for that. So he's thinking, you know, if I've done all the right things, I should get the rewards I'm seeking. Why am I keeping the commandments? For eternal life. I want eternal life, so I'm going to keep the commandments. But there's a problem. He's coming up to Jesus to ask Him what He should do to inherit eternal life because He realizes something's missing. In the other two Gospels that tell this story, He says, I've done all the commandments. What else am I missing? In this one, Jesus says, well done that you've done all that, but there's still one thing you lack. Jesus pronounces there's something that that He lacks. Either way, Jesus and the man both know something is missing in this relationship. Doing all the right things, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, doing everything just right. What, what am I missing out on here? I'm doing all the right stuff according to what's expected. Well, the law of sin and death says doing what's expected is still going to get you a hearse <laughs> and a nice train ride, if you will, or wherever that long black train's going. That law of sin and death applies to us all, including this man. And that law of sin and death comes directly from the law that was given, which is the fourth law in effect, is the law of Moses. The Jewish community was very familiar with the law of Moses. My wife and I talked about that this last week, how the uh, people of that time were very familiar with the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And the, uh, the law of Moses has all the commandments in it, the Ten Commandments, all the rituals, all the cleansing, all the purification, what to do, all these different things that are required according to the Mosaic Law. This man was under the Mosaic Law. He was a Jewish ruler. It's interesting though, isn't it? that a Jewish ruler would come up to Jesus and ask for eternal questions, answers. But he's young and maybe he's teachable and maybe he's not. But the Mosaic Law, like the other three laws we just talked about, have a problem. They are powerless to set us free from sin and death. All these laws operate under that third law, the law of sin and death. That that law is in effect regardless of the other three and how we do it. Well, God, if I just do this, You'll save me. No. It doesn't matter what you do. God's not going to save you because of what you've done. It's not what you think that you do that saves you. It's not what you think. It's who you know that saves you. But we want to justify our behaviors and our actions. Well, God, I did this for you. You know, you ought to 
listen to my prayers, you ought to do what I'm asking. Or, I'm a pretty good person, God. I'm trying to love people. I love others. I've done a lot for you, God. You see, I prayed the prayer of salvation, God. Don't you see what I did? However, it's not what you think about what you did or what you said. It's about what God says. It's not what you think that justifies you. It's not what you do that justifies you. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And putting your stuff in its place is a big problem in God's eyes. God, look what I've done. You ought to love me. God says, look what my son did. I do love you. Stop trying to earn what you already have and telling me that your righteousness is good. We look at the text for today and this young man coming running says something interesting. He says, good teacher. The word for good there is the word agias or agiasimus, which means an adverb or an, excuse me, an adjective describing what kind of teacher, but that word is reserved for a holy good. Not like this cake tastes good, but God's goodness. That's the kind of goodness He's trying to give. Jesus is the goodness of God. He would have said a different word there if He meant something that was favorable or flavorful or something that was pleasing. He used the word for godly good. So the man recognizes this man as as saying, another way to say that is, this is God's teacher. God's teacher. Teacher anointed with God. And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Only God is good and He's the great teacher. I'm just Jesus. <laughs> and He answers the question and says, what do the commandments say? And He goes through several of them. And the man says, I've kept them since I was a young man. And Jesus, looking at him, loving him, says, you're lacking one thing. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And then, you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come. He doesn't just say, come follow me. This is important. He says, come and take up your cross. Take up the cross and follow me. Two things there. And we always focus on the first one. And that is, they need to sell what he has and give it to the poor. But the second thing always gets slipped by in the shadows of that big statement is you need to take up a cross. The man hasn't taken up a cross. He's only been wealthy and done out of his wealth. Never had to bear a burden. He's so rich he can pay his way out of every situation, buy whatever he wants, you know, never struggle and strive. Never had to carry a burden for somebody else that he couldn't buy his way out of or help him with his financial availability. Never had to enter into the trench of the pain of someone else's life because he could just offer cash. I know a man whose children would cry out for help and their father was very wealthy. And he'd say, you got food over your head, you got money, I bought you a house, I bought you cars, I give you thousands of dollars every month. What are you worried about? But he had no relationship with his kids. He had no idea that they were hurting. He couldn't see tears. 
His money blocked it. It was the answer for everything. When you lose the answer that doesn't work eternally and exchange it for the one that does, things will change in your life. What do we trust to help others? Is it what we give? Or is it being with them in their misery and helping them to have hope again? Here's another way to say it. You give a person who doesn't know how to handle money and is destitute some money, it'll be gone. But if you come and show them a better way of life and walk with them out of those trenches and invest yourself in their life and show them a new way to live, they will change. But if you just keep throwing money at them, they'll keep doing the same mistakes. There's no investment in that. Not really. Nothing personal. So you can imagine this rich guy saying, well, I've given $100 to help this guy every day and he's still begging on the street. What's wrong with him? Well, what's his name? Have you ever found out? Have you ever sat down with him and talked to him and got to know him? No, I just took care of his needs like the Bible says I was supposed to to give my alms and help the poor and so I've done that. I did my job. So God let me in. They should give me eternal life because I threw a hundred dollars. Of course, he had millions of dollars, you know. He gave a hundred a day and didn't touch his account. You see what I'm saying here is that all the time we're thinking that this is helping God and the other person. And both, but flesh and our ideas of flesh can't please God. In Romans chapter 8, one of those great chapters in Romans says this, Beginning in verse 3, what the law could not do, it was powerless to do, in that it was weak through flesh. God did, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now first of all, let me share this with you. Jesus came down to be with us like us. He didn't say, oh, I'll just send you some repentance juice. you just have this and you'll be fine he said no I'm going to come down and be with you I'm going to suffer with you and be tempted like you so I can understand so I can be part of your life and when I say I understand how you feel you'll know it because I've been there with you and I go through things with you so he says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to flesh, but according to Spirit. That Jesus is coming to get us out of the flesh and start walking by the leading of the Holy Spirit. For those that live according to the flesh, set their minds, don't forget this, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now this rich young ruler, Jesus asked him to give up the things of the flesh for spiritual gain. But his mind was on things of the flesh. And when Jesus said, you've got to change your mindset about things of the flesh, your money and wealth, he got sad and walked away because he was very wealthy, had many possessions. But to be carnally minded, verse 6, is death, but spiritually minded is life and peace. What is this man after? Eternal life. He doesn't have peace. He knows something is missing. But spiritually minded would be life and peace. Why? Because the carnal mind is enmity or sets itself 
as an enemy against God. For it is not subject to God's law, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh. So what we're saying here, and what Paul is saying, is that we got to get out of the mindset of what the world has taught us and find out what Jesus is trying to do to give us a new way of thinking to transform our minds. Yeah, it's not what you think. It's what God says. Now there's another rich man. I love this story. Now, we've got the rich young ruler, got a lot of money, wants eternal life. There's another rich ruler, a little older, a little more mature. He's not very big. His name is Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, we see his story. I, I tell you, we, we started looking at him a little bit last week, and i, I got to read to you the story of Zacchaeus and see if there's anything similar to the story of this rich young ruler coming up to Jesus. It says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, meaning he made his money off of charging extra above tax cost. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he's going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today, I must stay at your house. And it says, so he made haste. Listen, he's doing what Jesus said. He's not thinking about whether it's the right thing to do. He's not thinking what what other people might think. It says, Zacchaeus made haste. Just like Jesus says, don't think about it, just do it. And he came down and received him joyfully. Ah, there's a big difference, isn't it? There's joy when he receives what Jesus has for him. The rich young ruler was saddened by what Jesus had for him. But, but, but isn't it the same thing? Is what Jesus offers to men the same thing? And the answer is absolutely. Well, why is one man happy and one man grieving and sad and sorrowful? Well, let's look. It says, when they saw it, that Zacchaeus had received him joyfully, they complained. Everybody complaining, saying, not, now, not against Zacchaeus, mind you. It's against Jesus. He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. <laughs> oh, there's a difference. This rich young ruler thinks he's a saint. 
that he's got all he needs to do under that law of reciprocity and, and work and pay. He's done all he needs to do and God should bless him. I'm good. I kept the word you need to give me my fair eternal life due. You need to do it. And this Zacchaeus is a sinner and he knows it. But he received Jesus joyfully as a sinner. What? Isn't the rich young ruler under the law of sin and death? So he also is a sinner, but he just doesn't know it. He's condemned under the law like we all are. There's no one righteous. Not one. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. At least that's what Isaiah says. And I agree with him. Because he got it from God. So, they're complaining that Jesus is going to be with the sinner. So you got a sinner receiving Jesus joyfully in Zacchaeus. you got a rich young ruler who thinks he's a saint and mad at Jesus. Huh. You're not playing right, Jesus. You're supposed to tell me I'm good. Tell me what I'm missing is uh, maybe uh, I need to you know, step up my game and honor other people's parents or something simple like that. And Zacchaeus stood, and this is verse 8, said to the Lord, Look, I'm giving half all I got to the poor. What? He's a rich man. He's giving half of it away? That's crazy. Well, the rich young ruler was told to do the same thing. But Zacchaeus wasn't told. Zacchaeus found something that made him want to do that. Not, you got to do this to find something. We get it backwards. Jesus Christ has come to redeem us, and out of that joy and salvation, it makes us want to be a joyful giver and generous like our Lord. It just happens. Notice, Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, give half your goods to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Follow me. He didn't say that. Zacchaeus followed Jesus and did it. Not as a command. Joyfully. And he says, and Zacchaeus wants to make things right. He says, if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm giving back fourfold. The law required twice. He was doubling the give back. He was making it right. Plus, he wasn't doing 10% of everything. He was doing 100% of what he was supposed to do times two. And 50% of all he had going straight to the poor now. And then Jesus says this. Today, salvation has come to this house because He also is the Son of Abraham For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. The rich young ruler walks away sad because he doesn't know he's lost. That's what he's missing. He doesn't know he needs grace. It's pretty sad to be in a place where you think you have it all and not need God's grace. God's touch God's healing, God's restoration. But Zacchaeus wanted to give.
Zacchaeus, when he said what he said about bestowing his gifts to the poor, half his wealth, wanted to please God. He wanted God pleased with him. And there's a step-by-step process that we go through. And the first thing is it puts God first. The P and please is it puts God first. No matter what we think, it's what God says. No matter what we do, it's what God says is right. Whether or not we want to justify that or not. And the second thing is it loves others as Jesus gave command in John 13.34. The new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So love others as Jesus gave command. But these are not things where you've got to make yourself do them. You do them because it's joyful. I can love you. The hardest part in our society nowadays is to trust other people enough to love them. And be exposed to the fact that they may not receive it. And may take advantage. So because of those fears, the E in pleasing God is it's easy to avoid when you're not in a relationship with Jesus. But God, if I love them, they might hurt me. God said, um, what part of that has to do with you? That's them hurting you. You're still doing what I command. Whether they receive it or not is their business. Whether they hurt you or not is their business. You stay in relationship with me. You take a cross. Follow me. Ugh. But, but God, you don't understand it. What, what, if they, what if I give all my goods to the poor and it does no good? He said, did you do it joyfully? Was it out of a heart of clear conscience not to earn something but to give? Because you wanted to. Because you wanted to bless and be blessed in the process. Yes? But, but they took it and threw it away. He said, don't catch your pearls before swine. <laughs> but give to the poor. And the poor may or may not. Until you take up your cross. Gosh, God, what's a cross? It's the A. And pleased. It adjusts to the answer God gives and accepts it as a good thing. Listen to me carefully. This is so important. You may give all you have in your body to be burned, says Paul in the love chapter, but if without love it means nothing. Until you take up the cross while you're doing that. Jesus says, so all you have, give it to the poor and take up your cross. Not And then, it's get in the trenches with them and start giving to the people and showing them with your physical presence and your financial gift. Get in the trenches with them and start loving them in real ways. Don't let your generosity be hands off. Invest you in them. That's the cross. Without taking up the cross, it's just the money that's going to go away. I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people say, I'm not going to give them money. Others are spending on drugs and alcohol. I don't know what they're going to do with that money. Some people say, well, I don't know either, but God put it on my heart to give, so I'm going to give. Well, what if that person on the side of the road has that sign up that says, we'll work for food, and you got out of your vehicle and sat there and talked for 20 minutes? You think you might change their life, or do you think they might change yours? Do you think you might enter into some of their pain, or do you just want to give 10 bucks and be done with it? 
Which one is carrying the cross? If God's put it on you to help them, help them. Don't enable them. Find out where they live, where they've come from, their family. Get to know them. Invest. This is what Jesus asked that rich young ruler to do. And it made him sad because he thought that it was going to be easy. That he could control this thing. Zacchaeus said, I'm following you, Jesus. I'm following you. I'm giving to the poor. I'm following you. I'm going to find all those people that I've defrauded and I'm going to their house. Do you understand? You can't expect them to come, hey, you took this. They're not going to do it. They don't think they're allowed to go to the rich person's house because of that society. He's got to go to their house and find everyone he's defrauded. And they kept records. And find everyone and go face to face and say, I defrauded you. Do you think that's easy? That's a cross. He's telling this rich young ruler, take your cross. You don't even know what it is because you never even burdened yourself to get to know someone who hurt or was in less stature than you. So, adjust to what God does in the S is surrender works. Let me say it this way. Only surrender works in God's terms. You don't dictate the terms of the relationship. God does. Jesus died for you. Not you did something to earn this. You're entering into a relationship of joy and peace and celebration. It's a good thing God did for you. It's not a burden. It's, oh God, you died for me, now i got to do something. No. Receive, believe, and be joyful. Have peace. And live out of the power of the Holy Spirit in you, which brings you joy. Oh yeah, that is the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Zacchaeus, joyfully. Rich ruler, sad. The E, pleased. It ends justification. Justification is where, God, I did this, you need to bless me. It's about the cross, not what you did. We want to say, well, I had good motive when I did this, therefore it's okay, God. God says, uh, it's the cross, not you. It's not about you. Quit putting you in my equation with my son. It's about my son. Stop making it about you. Okay, God. I get it. And the D is, it defeats self-righteousness, which says, I got this, I'm a saint. My righteousness, as I said, is as filthy rags and so is yours. God looks at all the good stuff we've done and says, you're not even an unworthy servant. <laughs> you haven't done everything I've asked. Please stop talking about how righteous you are. It's annoying. <laughs> I can imagine God doing that. You know, Quit talking about how good you are. You're bothering me. Jesus said there's nobody good but God. Uh, you may think you should be rewarded for all the good you've done. But it's not about what you think. It's about God's grace and action that rewards you with eternal life. Grace by faith you are saved. Not of works lest anyone should boast, justify, or think they're righteous of their own behavior. Max Aclato said this, 
You don't need a system to please God. You need a Savior. (laughs) You cannot please God without first receiving His Son and the joy that comes with that. And here's why. When you receive Christ with joy, life changes. If He is a way out of a trial or a get-out-of-hell-free ticket, you will not be any different. This is what the rich young ruler was looking for. Affirmation that he was all the way there. You've got eternal life. You're good, buddy. And if you're not any different, you are not yet in a relationship with Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ enters into your life, you will know. Let me put it to you this way. God created all the universe, all the things created. He did. And if that God, all of a sudden, who is bigger than all that, is inside of you, you're going to know it. Because that creative power is in you, and some creation stuff starting to happen inside you, because that's what God does. He makes all things brand new. He takes chaos, as it says in Genesis 1, and makes order out of it. The chaos of our sinful life, and puts His recreation back in motion as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. But look at this rich young ruler one more time. Jesus loved him. And he said what he said to him. And the rich young ruler walked away. But what if he had known who Jesus was? What do you think? Do you think if he had known that Jesus was the Son of God, that when He called Him good, that He really was calling Him God good, and He was accurate in that description. Or do you think, maybe if He knew that that same Jesus in front of Him also created Him, He was the Creator, Son of God, King of Kings, and not just some Jewish teacher. If He knew that, Do you think he would have responded differently when Jesus said, sell all you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross, follow me? Do you think he would have gone, you're you're inviting me? You're the creator of everything you want me? Yes! Of course, I've been looking for this my whole life. He said, no, I just don't think that's what I want. (laughs) But do you think if he knew who Jesus really was, he would have said yes? That's my question to you. Do you think he would have? Anybody? Well, let, let me ask you this. Knowing what you know right now, if you were him and you saw Jesus back then, face to face, would you have given him all you had and followed him carrying your cross? Would you have done that? Well, let me answer this for you. In Luke chapter 12, read the following. And Jesus is talking about being anxious and the birds of the field needing uh, not clothed. God feeds them and the flowers clothed. And He closes that passage by saying, Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind, kind of like the rich young ruler had. For all these things the nations of the world seek after And your Father knows that you need those things. But you, 
seek the kingdom of God, all those things will be added back to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now listen to this. Sell what you have and give alms. Sell everything. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus is saying this to His disciples. Sell all that you have and come follow Me. His disciples kind of knew who He was, but they still all denied Him. But I challenge you this morning, if you were that rich young ruler, knowing what you know now about who Jesus is, and if you just said, yes, you would follow Him, then I've got to tell you this. You may think you know who Jesus is, but it's not what you think. It's what God says. And if God has called you to do that as a part of His kingdom, and you said you know Jesus is who He said He was, that He is the Son of God, the Creator, the King of kings, Lord of lords, He's asking us to do that. To get in the trenches and be with those folks and take up our cross daily. And if we know who He is and we said we do, then what are we doing about it? And how are we responding to His call? Are we like the rich young ruler still saying, I'll give to the cause, but I'm not getting my feet wet? Would you pray with me? God, forgive me when I uh, stay away from the pain in this world because it's easier to give something to it and not participate in the solution. And I know that there have been many times in my life when you've asked me to do something and called me to it and I wasn't sure. And it saddened me. Instead of saying, you're the King of all, Lord of Lords, of course you honor me by asking me to join you. Of course I'll follow you. Instead I say, let me think about it or pray about it. And you're the King of all who hears the prayer I pray. And you just ask. Oh God, that when you ask, we would not be hesitant. But make haste and come down and receive joyfully. Because you receive us first. I don't know about you, 